Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is our podcast series, SAP's podcast series about the difference that open source can be. And in each episode, we'll talk with experts about open source and why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hoage, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Ingo Koba and Jason Kafka about the open component model going by the acronym OCM. Hi, Ingo. Hi, Jason. Great to have you both here. Hi, Carsten. Hi, Carsten. Okay, let's look at who these guys are. Ingo is a product owner at SAP in the context of Kubernetes lifecycle management. He has an overall SAP history of more than 22 years. And uh, what else he says about himself is uh, that outside of the usual working hours, you might find him either DJing somewhere in a club in the area of Heidelberg, not like in Sao Paulo or something, but in the area of Heidelberg, or having fun in Diablo 4. Jason has been with SAP for 14 years, is an engineering manager responsible for the Gardner lifecycle management team. Fun fact about him, Jason was the guy who made stand-up paddling popular in Germany. Well, at least in Baden-Württemberg, that is. Uh, uh, Jason, sorry, um, how did that happen? Well, I mean, so um, I think eight years ago or nine years ago, I was on a vacation in the U.S. and there I first encountered that sport and I really liked it a lot. And then I was one of the first guys, I would say, in Germany actually um, paddling on rivers and lakes using that stand-up paddleboarding thingy. And I remember this quite well because everybody was looking at me. What are you doing there? Is it a surfboard? Do you need a license for that? Yada, yada. So I think I was one of the first guys doing that here. You were definitely earlier than I was. Uh, I picked that up during the pandemic because it was a thing you could do alone out there on the lake or something. Ingo, uh, DJing, what kind of clubs? Well, something in the in the Heidelberg area, Villa Nachtanz, uh, that's a very small club. And I was in the Halle 02 also and some other events uh, in the Neckar water. That's a thing around the Neckar where they put sand and beaches and they offer it local DJs to do stuff. As I happen to know Villa Nachtanz, uh, that's more of an alternative location. What kind of music? It's mostly electronic, so like deep house, house, uh, techno. Okay, but not your dance floor 90s parties. That wouldn't fit into Villa, right? <laughs> no, and, and I'm not a wedding DJ. Please don't call me that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nothing against any wedding DJs who no, might be listening. Not. No, of course. Uh, no, yeah, we no have offense, to be careful please. here. Yeah. Um, and we also have to be careful that we don't keep chit-chatting about uh, something totally different because uh, in our pre-talks we found out that we can. Uh, so, Ingo, back to you. OCM, Open Component Model. Um, what is that? Can you give us the shortest possible description? Yeah, and that's already quite a tricky question. The shortest possible description, because it, it's a complex topic, and this is why we asked JetGPT to just read our official website at ocm.software and yeah, come up with a short summary of our website. And what the A answered is um, the OCM, the Open Component Model, is an open standard for describing software builds of delivery in a technology-agnostic machine-readable format, which is still, I think, quite a bit yeah, complicated if you hear that for the first time. So in another nutshell, I would say 
OCM is a machine-readable format to describe software components, including their technical artifacts and how to assess these artifacts. Okay, so it's basically a sticker on the package or the, the, the template for the sticker on the package that says what's in here. Yeah, correct. All right. And uh, Jason, the, the, the purpose or the use cases for OCM are? Well, in the end, I mean, as Ingo said, OCM is a machine-readable format to make software artifacts tangible for machines. That is enabling all sorts of automation based on software artifacts. And uh, we invented uh, OCM and the Gardner CI/CD team um, to automate our delivery processes, right? So initially, um, OCM was used to describe software artifacts of the Gardner, which were then given to a delivery management and then to provide them with insights into which software artifacts, Docker images and such were delivered to which location. Yeah? And uh, that, this was basically the first um, use case we had. And then quickly after that, um, we realized way more practical use cases. For instance, with description of uh, OCM, we could describe our artifacts and their location inside um, different software repositories. And then we could use this um, to, let's say, automate the whole scanning procedures we had. So, I mean, think of OCM as a kind of abstraction layer we put over our software artifacts. And um, so the OCM describes what the software artifacts are. And then we have a translation which basically takes this description, feeds this to scanning tools, and then those scanners can use this OCM format to perform all sorts of scanning tasks. For the dev teams, that was a super um, gain in productivity because they no longer had to deal with each and every single scanner because it was just OCM describing the software artifacts and then exposing this to the various scanner tools. So if SGS or whoever comes up with another five scanning tools in the future, our Gardner teams are set up for that. And yeah, so let's maybe um, come to another interesting scenario here. So if you take a look at the uh, OCM website, our slogan here is, um, in the end, describe, transport and de deploy. Um, so this means you can um, describe uh, software artifacts with OCM. You can have the tooling around it, which then allows you to ship these artifacts described via OCM to various locations. And um, you can also enrich this, and this is what we also do. You can enrich this format um, with instructions on how to deploy um, artifacts. So in the end, it's a description which allows you to ask questions like, What's inside of this package? How can I deploy you? Where do you come from? Are you real? Because you can sign it. Yeah. Okay. Now you did talk some about scanners and things um, and, and about pipelines. Um, I'm familiar with the build pipelines, but we're not talking about build pipelines here, Ingo. This is a lifecycle management thing, right? So as you said, it's a transport and deploy thing rather. It is a lifecycle management thing. That's correct. Um, we want in the end to like streamline software lifecycle management processes, if you will, like compliance scanning, reporting, delivery, even deployment can be streamlined or at least um, improved um, the process of deploying stuff uh, using the open component model. Um, the reason, and I think Jason touched upon it already, why we are investing in this topic is that we still see a lot of teams struggling with these um, often compliance-related requirements at SAP um, when it comes to develop and deliver software. And quite often we see teams tackle the same problems, but in different ways. Yeah? And this is why we believe if we like could agree at least on like one way 
of describing software components, we could really improve the SAP developers' lives. Jason, when we talked before this recording, you, I think, mentioned that one could consider it as a version of Cyclone DX or of SPDX. Can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, so when you take a look at OCM, at the first thing, I mean, people will always say, oh, that's a bill of material, software bill of material. And if you're dealing with S-bombs, usually um, Cyclone DX and SPDX and other formats will pop up in your head. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, OCM is kind of, um, let's say similar in that it provides a list of artifacts which the software product needs in order to run. But so with OCM, we went a quite different road. So um, first of all, SPDX and Cyclone DX both give you a lot of options. I mean, there are a lot of things which you can put in there optional. I mean, it's not that there is a strict rule set which says this and this and this value needs to be there. It's a lot of, let's say, um, Optionals, uh, options you have there. And OCM is very opinionated. So we have a strict rule set what can go inside this description and what shouldn't be there. I mean, it's extensible, but we have a really strict rule set here. And um, I mean, and uh, Ingo, this is one uh, term we coined here. We talk about OCM about a software bill of delivery. I mean, and because we want to distinguish that we are describing all the, the high level artifacts that you need to ship. Um, to somewhere in order to make your application run. It's like a, in German, Lieferschein. It's hard to translate, but um, that's, I would say, a clear distinction to SPDX here. Okay, and that means uh, beyond SPDX, it also has basically uh, information about what to do with the package rather than just what's in it? Or did I understand that right? I mean, if I can just chime in here one more time. So, I mean, OCM um, can provide you with a list of deliverables, right? And then it's also extensible to more things. I mean, like I said, you can ask it a few questions. What's inside of you? How can I deploy you? I mean, this is another use case we intended uh, for the OCM format when we deployed in our software lifecycle management. So we have another tooling um, which we developed that's called the Landscaper and we put in there in this OCM descriptor things called Blueprint. So if the Landscaper picks up any artifact described by OCM, then it knows there is, there is a Blueprint how to deploy this. I mean, you could put in there any other things like a helm chart or other installation procedures. But we think with OCM you have one description package which really describes your application not only from, from the content point, but also it gives you the opportunity for deploying mechanisms to pick that up and that automatically deploys the stuff. So it's, it's, it's that this is not what, for instance, nothing that SPDX was intended for. It's just a plain bill of uh, material. And with OCM, we see way more information you can package in there. It's not only about delivery information. We touched it briefly on the compliance aspect here. We are also thinking, and we are also in, in talks with our SGS friends here, that we can put more compliance documents in there, which are relevant for certain audits. So we have in focus Everything you want to deliver and basically attest that this thing is the real thing should be part of this OCM descriptor. And if it's not in the mandatory core, basically there is still the extensibility by which to add additional yeah. information for your exactly. individual package. Yeah. You All can right. add Cyclone DX manifests in there or you can put in there VEX VEX format things. I mean, that's this vulnerability exchange format things, whatever you want. But in the, in, the, in the end, I mean, there is a clear description in the higher level how this format looks like. So you can read out um, additional information on the fly. Okay, I understand it 
on the conceptual side, I think. Uh, let's maybe turn to what is that made of? Uh, what's its format and, and how is it created? So the format is usually YAML files or you could also do JSON. Uh, and these files we call component descriptors. So yeah, I mean, it describes components, so that maybe makes sense. And these are the software builds of delivery thingies. These files, component descriptors, they contain first and foremost a name and a version so that you know what version of a certain component you're actually talking about. Uh, these two together make this unique ID of that component. So it should be like globally unique so that wherever you are, you can specifically address a specific version of a software component. And then it contains this list of technical resources like um, Docker images, Helm jars, as Jason uh, mentioned it already, executables, whatever else you can put in every like technical resource you can think of. But only those which are, of course, required by this specific software component version to be deployed to run somewhere, right? You can also put in URLs uh, towards the source code repositories, which you have used in order to create the build artifacts. Why not? Um, just as a um, additional information, you can put in like any other kinds of metadata, actually, simple labels or other file formats, um, just everything that kind of helps to describe and work with your component. Think of it maybe if you were like a generic metadata container hosting data that describes your software component in a uniform way so that other tools and processes can make use of this metadata um, and you usually ship that alongside the whole software component. And regarding the question where these files are being created, this usually happens in the build. So your build pipelines like Conquerors or something in these, you have to provide a certain set of data, like the name, for example, like um, all of the resources that you want to specify in these component descriptor files. And if you have set up this once properly, then most of this can be automated, like increasing the version numbers with each build. That's something that you can, of course, automate. Okay, but initially, as you now said, uh, increasing the version numbers can be automated. Uh, some initial information still has to be created by humans, right? Yes, at some point in time, you decide on the component name, right? And you have to explicitly decide, usually as a developer, which are like the Docker images and the Helm charts that my software component needs in order to get deployed. And this is a deliberate decision you do at some point in time. Okay, so that's something that's not like imaginable that this would be fully automated or is it? Mm, no, I think that cannot be fully automated because it's really a decision which Docker image you package within your component. Well, I mean, this would basically automate away the product owner's role completely. I mean, there is a guy who has an idea of how the product should look like and what parts of should be part of the product. I mean, and this is something that there's still a human decision in it. There's still a human who plans this product and how the packaging should look like. I mean, there are ways, of course, maybe where you can use automation, but we are way um, apart from that. How, how, how about if everything that you're using in your package already has OCM information attached to it? Then this would be fully automatic, right? Yeah, but then you're building another component, is it? So you're building another component based on other components that are available already. 
That's an interesting question. I mean, so basically, let's say, okay, let, let's go with this, Carsten. I mean, so let's say you have basically described everything with OCM and then you would say, hey, ChatGPT, um, please uh, plug this together in a meaningful way. So it, if there is enough meaningful information in these OCM descriptors, we could put this in there. I could think of a way in the future, of course, on how something actually could plug this together. Why not? But we haven't actually tried this out yet. But we, I mean, you see how rapidly AI evolves in the past. So I think a lot of things are possible in the future. Maybe even this. I just had the abstract thought, if everything was described in a standardized way, then the next level that puts it together uh, should be able to machine generate that next exactly, yeah. higher level description, right? Yeah. And other question that may be similar is, uh, is that generated once the OCM description or does it like, pick up things along the way, sort of down the pipeline? So initially, yes, each build pipeline of your software component for each new version that you generate with a, with a new build pipeline run, you would create another new version of your software component descriptor file. Um, after the build, you could even attach more stuff to it. Yeah, that's possible. So it's not... Uh, totally like uh, immutable after the first build. Uh, maybe you would relate uh, scan results to the component. Maybe you would even like to include uh, scan results as specific files into components. You could do that. So we are not totally against this. What I would like to point out is at some point in time, whenever you say, so my component is now ready, um, it should be in an immutable state so that whatever you have created until a certain point in time. And then you should say, no, I'm not doing any more changes anymore to the, to the software component itself. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, I understand that. Uh, I, I think what I had in my head and you fortunately now mentioned it was exactly you were talking about scans before and I thought, okay, these scans have a result. So uh, there's no point if that result wouldn't be written into or is there? You can do it like that, but you could also like take this uh, globally unique ID and take this as the ID you put in some database and you just put also the scan results together with this unique ID with the software component version that you have just scanned also in the database. Then you can use this global unique ID as like a correlation ID if that's a term somebody is uh, knowledgeable of. Um, and like make the connection to the scan results via this ID. I mean, you always have the ID. You don't necessarily need to change the component descriptor in order to relate these uh, results. Okay, maybe let's not dwell to, on this for too long because uh, I have the feeling I'm, I'm, I'm fantasizing about things here uh, and we actually want to uh, get across the, the, in the first place, very good concept. Um, so um, maybe, Jason, uh, why did you again come up with it in the first place? And, and also, why is it run open source? Well, I, I will definitely uh, give you uh, an idea of this, but maybe just one remark to our last bit here. Um, closing off this component scripture is actually done by signing it. So when you say, I'm done with it, I will not add anything further, you sign it, and that's basically sealing it. And then you can basically, you, you know, this is the thing we have uh, scanned. And, and that's kind of the connection you can make to this kind of scanning uh, report database. We are also in the works of that, um, but it's really uh, just POC level right now, but we are also following that way. Um, so 
coming to your question, um, why did we come up with that idea and, and especially why did we um, put it to open source? There are two, I would say, uh, two thoughts um, to it. The first one was, of course, we wanted to validate OCM against other use cases um, outside of SAP. So we wanted to see what are others thinking of OCM. Is it? I mean, because we were also all convinced OCM is a great idea, but you know how it is. If you're just in your echo chamber, you pat yourself on the shoulders and say, great, best thing ever. And then you show to somebody outside and say, that's a complete crap what you made there. So, and, and I mean, we were, of course, uh, sure that it's not crap, but we um, wanted to present this to the outside world and get feedback. We're also not doing this on our own. We are, of course, working here together with our valued partner, WeFworks. They put a lot of thought into that as well. So we have here, again, I mean, the validation point. So that's number one, validate OCM by the outside world. And second, um, we saw that OCM is basically it's not only useful within SAP, right? So we see that other companies um, have similar problems. For instance, when we talk about delivering artifacts, it's not only about shipping the stuff to the private cloud. OCM has what private cloud deliveries in its mind. It's basically, it was one of the first use cases we thought about when we came up with OCM. So we have tooling which basically takes OCM-described artifacts and ships them completely self-contained into any private environment. And this is something we see other companies who have the same problems. And um, so we, we think it's value for them and they can basically see OCM, see, hey, that's a great thingy. We have a similar use case and can basically take this, adapt it to their needs and feed back other ideas and tools. So we, we I can think this is a kind of feedback loop um, which gives us valuable information we can then incorporate into our tooling as well. Well, I guess in the end, it's always the standardization is always a benefit to all who could make use of the standard. So in this case, all the hyperscalers, anyone who's large enough to run a private or contained cloud, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Sounds cool. Uh, so what's the status of it? like right now and what do you envision it to become? So we don't have a major version out yet. Um, we started with OCM specifically mid of last year. So it's about a year old. We are like celebrating birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, but we have a few uh, minor releases out yet. And these versions, they are fully usable and they do provide benefit as they are, like in creating component descriptors, um, adding resources that can all be done on a CLI level. So writing your shell scripts for that shouldn't be an issue. And I would call it, it's a beta state. Yeah. And what we envision for the future is really that OCM becomes an open standard in the industry for describing software components and then also like perform all kinds of lifecycle management processes on top of these descriptions. If you would ask me, ideally in one or two years, we have a, like a, an ecosystem of tools on top of this OCM description from various other vendors or like people in the open source space. Things that like enable processes on top of this OCM specification. I'm just thinking of an example because uh, interestingly, just I think last week or before last, uh, a colleague asked me about... Uh, a way to attach some basic compliance information like security standards uh, information uh, to entities. Uh, would that be an OCM thing to do or not? 
I mean, so that I think we already touched on the purpose of extensibility of the OCM format. So okay. you can, of course, take uh, SPDX and include this into OCM. So, I mean, we already, I mean, so let's take a step back. So there was the executive order um, last year by the U.S. government, which in the end um, regulates that that every software out there, and, and including software as a service solutions, they need to have an S-bomb. Yeah, so that, if you ship something, then you need to have an S-bomb. And this is something that SAP, SAP also needs to comply to, right? And what you can think of now is, I mean, I, I think it's not good enough to just um, um, put a, an, an S-bomb into every TAR or ZAR archive you have on your marketplace. It kind of needs to be in a context. Where does this S-bomb relate to? What does it relate to? So you need to have context. You have to need a, something which models the product. That's OCM. So when you describe your product with OCM, then basically nothing would stop you from including this uh, a fine-grained S-bomb like SPDX into your um, OCM archive as well. That is definitely um, something which is possible. The one thing that kind of works in the back of my mind all the time is how did the world live without something like this before? Because, I mean, no, no truck is allowed to go down the road uh, without a bill of materials what it has loaded. Uh, nothing is allowed to go anywhere without declaring itself. Well, I mean, it's always a thing like, I mean, so you can, of course... You can have your classical S-Bomb, but in the end, um, it's all about, uh, do you want to have your processes more automated or do you want to have it uh, with a lot of manual interaction? So, of course, things like we do them now, they work. I mean, we see this in all, a lot of places within SAP. I mean, do you need to change anything? No. If you have enough time and want to spend a lot of money, then go for it. But so, and let's take, for instance, we want to know if in a certain product we deliver to some place is a certain vulnerability. The usual problem is finding out what has been actually shipped where. And we have a lot of Excel sheets involved in a lot of these processes and kind of what have you. So we would like to lay the foundation with OCM to have a, a means to fully automate all these things with a fully described software artifact delivery. That's what we aim for. Of course, you can do it the old way, but it costs you time and blood and money. We want to save a lot of our colleagues time and invest in something which allows us or enables us to build tools running on that format and doing automated processes. I forgot uh, the machine-readable part when I asked that question, uh, how did the world live without it before? Uh, so basically, it's the change from the truck is being stopped by customs uh, or it's an RFID chip uh, that is just simply being read, right? Exactly, right, yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, with that, with, uh, as you said, once... For the first time, I think, to an analogy exactly, uh, let's leave it with that analogy uh, and come to the famous last two questions. Um, and the famous last two questions are, before last question, if anyone is interested to learn more about OCM, where do they go? Ideally, they just go over to the website ocm.software. We have quite a bunch of tutorials, guides, documentation, contribution guidelines. Uh, I mean, it's open source. If you're uh, missing a feature or want to contribute, just go there. We have guidelines on how to do contribution. Um, all of our GitHub repos and the GitHub organization is linked there. So that's the place to go, ocm.software. Okay. Anything else? Any YouTube tutorials or uh, marketing clips? We're working on that. You're working on yeah. that. Okay, we'll probably find out then. Um, then, famous last question. The three or four main 
things that you want people to remember from the podcast? One could call it key takeaways. And yeah, I think, uh, Ingo, what we both, um, let's say, um, repeated a lot of times with OCM, we just want to establish a common, I mean, for instance, at least at SAP, but also outside a common machine-readable format for describing software artifacts to enable automation. Yeah? And OCM is, is versatile, it's extensible, and like I said, it enables automation of many software lifecycle-rated processes. And there is a new term we would like to coin here. It creates software bills of delivery. Yeah? So these are the so-called SBODs. I mean, you can also read this up on our OCM.software webpage. And Carsten, I have to say it in this cast, in the rules. You have to accept this. <laughs> okay. Um, this is kind of an insider thing. When we when we talked a little bit before, uh, I kind of said, well, I'm not too fond of these Indiana Jones movies anyway, not even of the old ones. And I was like, these, these two guys here almost canceled this recording appointment when I had said that. It was close to be canceled, really. Close, yeah. Tough call. <laughs> yeah. But as I also said before, I don't have anything against Harrison Ford. He's played some great things. I don't have anything against LucasArts. Uh, I love the Star Wars movies um, and I don't know, we shouldn't mention any more brands now. So let's leave it at that. And this is not key takeaways about OCM either, although we could probably recoin the acronym in some way that would fit that. Anyway, so thank you very much, Jason and Ingo, for being our guests today. It was nice to have you both here. Uh, thank you too, Carsten. It was great to have the opportunity to participate in your podcast. Thank you. Same for me. And thank you out there for listening to The Open Source Way. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and don't miss our next one, published every last Wednesday of the month. You'll find us on OpenSAP and in most of those places where you find your other podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify and the likes. Thanks again and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.